Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 398 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on Sunday, May 7th, and I'm joined, as mostly always, by my friend, Scott Coleman. Scott, the Braves are rolling. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Braves are doing well. This was a really good week for the team, and you know we're almost, a, what, a quarter of the way through the season, which is crazy, and I think when a team is playing as well as the Braves are, the games and the days go by a little bit faster. But yeah, I mean, there's just so many good things to get into this week. Again, a lot of positive outcomes for the Braves and really some other guys who stepped up in a way they maybe haven't in the past, which is really encouraging when you think about if the Braves can get some additional help from guys who maybe weren't super involved early in the year. uh, it, It just raises the ceiling of this team so much more. If you are a new listener to this podcast, uh, we are going to be getting into plenty of detail and our opinions and what transpired over the last week. But I do want to start a little bit broad on this show because of just how well the Braves are playing and how much sort of positivity there is in the indicators right now. They went six and two between podcasts, you know, over a seven day span to getting six wins, even if you have two losses because of the doubleheader. Um, they have the best record and the best run differential in the National League right now. Uh, and beyond just this season, they have matched the franchise record per Mark Bowman for best 35 game start at 24 and 11. That is a 111 win pace. And uh, before I throw it to you, Scott, also entering today, they had 22% World Series odds at Fangraphs, which, went, which honestly sounds awesome in, in itself. Next highest was 12%. And that's before they won today. Also, after today, up, uh, with, with an update at 538, they're number one in those World Series odds with a 100-win projection. Uh, it is going extremely well, and I know it's a little bit uncomfortable. I tweeted some of this stuff, and people were uh, sort of uh, on pins and needles. I totally get it because it's not always the comfortable thing in baseball to be the perceived best team, uh, if not only in the, in the National League, maybe even the whole major leagues. But, um, you know, just needless to say, this is a very, very positive start, especially when you remember that they've had some obstacles and they still do have some obstacles to clear. But as far as like with all the noise around the team and stuff to talk about and shortstop and injuries and all that stuff to be 24 and 11 and, you know, projection systems that are objective, seeing the Braves as, you know, kind of a half tier above the rest. It is a pretty wild place to be here on May 7th. Yeah, I would certainly take it over the other other side of it, right? I looked a year ago through 35 games, the Braves were 16 and 19. And yes, it is still early. It's the first weekend in May. There's a lot of baseball to go. And as we have seen, especially in recent years, it's not always the best team who wins at the end of the playoffs. Sometimes it happens. And sometimes it's a team like the 2021 Atlanta Braves that get hot for the right time and hit all the right buttons. And all of a sudden they're champions. Uh, But I mean, you mentioned the numbers. This team is just so well-balanced. There's really no weakness. Sure. There are a couple areas they can improve upon, clean up a little bit. We'll talk about some positive outcomes from this week from, from guys who have struggled early on, but I mean, 24 and 11, it's been a pretty tough schedule as well. They've gotten some of their more difficult opponents out of the way. And the rest of the National League East is struggling. I mean, there's, I think the Braves are the only team in the East above 500. The Mets are having issues. The Phillies are having issues. The Marlins are uh, an improved team, but clearly not in the same echelon as those other three. So really through the first six weeks of the season, I think it's gone about as well as you could have hoped for. Certainly, we uh, learned some lessons from last year's New York Mets prognostication. So we're not going to be making any madness proclamations in early May. But the fact that the Braves have the best record in the National League East by seven games on May 7th is pretty remarkable. Also, they're the only team with a positive run differential. And uh, the Mets and Marlins are sub 500 and they're tied for second place right now. I do believe the Mets are better than this, um, probably. But the Marlins um, are actually... I believe, yeah. Right now, the Marlins are dead last in the National League and run differential, and they're 17 and 18, which tells you that, number one, it's early, but also, number two, it's probably a little bit of smoke and mirrors with regard to the Marlins and winning yeah. every one-run game so far. So the Braves swept them this week, which we'll get into, but a lot of positive indicators, you know, three and a, what, three and a half game lead on, on the field in the National League. It's just, it's kind, of, it's kind of a weird place to be. I know it's a little bit uncomfortable for some people again, but uh, 
it, it's not worth running from the numbers. The numbers with an are, are, are what they are, and you can't ask for a much better start. Again, when especially when adjusting for all the stuff that has gone either you know middling or wrong so far. Imagine if things have gone perfectly, and that'd be uh, pretty scary. Yeah. Well, and would you rather be seven games up or seven games down on May eighth? Well, or Scott, have I, have, you... I have some thought. Of, I, have, I have an idea about that. I think I'd probably choose seven games up. Just, just, just a thought. Yeah, it's bold. Um, Aggressive. I mean, we joked on the preview podcast this spring, you know, let's hope the Braves didn't get out to a slow start as they have done a couple of times. And it is still very early. There is a ton of baseball to go, but uh, I'll take the wins whenever you can get them. Hopefully it comes to a point where the Braves do not have to go 100 miles an hour for (laughs) all 162 or, or at least 161, which they did last year. Um, even with the layoff that comes with being a top two seed in the new playoff formatting, I just think there's something to be said for being able to skip guys down the, you know, in September and August and the dog days, giving guys a break, giving them a breather. When you're in a situation like last season where you had to win every single night, I think that just mentally and physically can take it out of players. Uh, and again, as we saw in 2021, if you're if you're going right and you're healthy and you're just clicking at the right time, all things equal, of course, you'd rather be the number one overall seed and win every single time you go out there. But I think at least through the first six weeks of the year, sure, there are the areas that could be better. But overall, this roster is just really, really good. Absolutely. And I did want to make sure we started with that positivity because it is you know, documented and important and real. They've played extremely well so far. It was a great week for them as this, you know, our portion of this podcast network is a weekly show for the most part. And it was a heck of a week for the Braves. Now there is some news to hit on. There are some decisions that were made. There is some injury updates and things. We're going to kind of go to that now. Sometimes we'll just kind of dive into the games, but when there's enough non-game stuff to discuss that we should lead with it, we'll go ahead and do that. And that becomes uh, kind of the number one topic of the week other than the positivity is the shortstop madness. Now it's got a little bit more settled because Orlando Garcia, spoiler alert, came back uh, kind of surprisingly on Sunday. But before that, it was the story of the week. Braden Schumick was called up this week for his his debut. Uh, Adrianza went to the IL with an elbow issue. Uh, that got a lot of attention in itself. You know, the fact that they went to Shoemake, who, you know, has never really hit, no matter kind of what anybody says, he's never really hit. But defensively, he was a big favorite in the spring. There was that whole round of optimism about him being a potential starting shortstop option for the Braves coming out of spring training. That didn't actually happen, but a lot of buzz there. And then Vaughn Grissom, at the same time, and also before Shoemake was promoted, has struggled in a big way. And the way that I put it, I, I want to know what you think about this. What, the way that I framed it on Twitter was basically that, to, this, I'll speak for me, nothing that happened defensively for Vaughn Grissom is a big surprise to me um, because I never really bought it. And there was that you know wave of PR stuff about his defense. But that was the big question that we heard from all the minor league experts. And I'm not one of those, but um, everything we saw, I was worried about the defense. The problem is, beyond the defense, is that we thought, at least I did, and I think the Braves probably did, that he was going to hit. And what you can't afford if you're Vaughn Grissom is to be that bad defensively, have five, six errors, and also not hit at all. So he's still young. We'll get into all of that too. But all of that happened before RC came back out of nowhere. So, uh, Scott, wh- where's your brain uh, sort of been in the last six, seven days? Because it's been kind of a roller coaster at shortstop. Yeah, it really has. And thank goodness that Orlando Arcia is back. And it's amazing to think even a couple of months ago that Arcia would be seen as the savior of the shortstop position. And he has been so, so, so good early on in the year um, and came back quicker than I think at least those closest around the team expected. It was this weekend when it was reported that Arcia might need another week or two or three. And then he's suddenly in the lineup on Sunday, which was great. Um, as far as Shoemake at this point, man, he's, he's 25 years old. He has been around. I'm not sure what else he has to gain by playing in the minor leagues every day. And I do agree that while I, I was optimistic about Grissom's bat, and I still think there's there's a long-term Vaughn Grissom in the major leagues, right now it's just it's just not there. And that's he was thrown into the fire last season, and really he was thrown into the fire this year too because of injuries. The Braves had nowhere else to really turn, and Grissom is just not an everyday major league shortstop right now. And look, he's 22 years old. He's still a young kid. He's barely played above high A in the minor leagues. 
He had 146 plate appearances in double and triple A between 2022 and 2023 before getting called up. And while he has flashed potential at the major league level, you mentioned the defense is basically unplayable. And if you're not hitting, then it becomes a really tough proposition. And regardless of what happens with Orlando Arcia moving forward and if the Braves keep shoemaker up in Atlanta or if they send him back to uh, Gwinnett, I think it's clear that Grissom needs to play every day in the minor leagues for his both long-term outlook and, and really to help the organization as a whole. I agree, and I think you're going to see some people kind of write off Grissom permanently right now, and I would not do that. I do think that we were pretty skeptical of him being ready to be at the shortstop every day. We were also skeptical of the overall plan. And look, Arcia has, I think, certainly overachieved what I thought he was going to be into this year. Um, so kudos to the Braves for, I guess, seeing that. And I'm, we'll see how that continues in the future. But his glove, at the very least, Arcia, I do trust the glove at this point. It's been really good this year. Um, with, with Grissom, though, like he had to hit. And that's the thing. I, I think that that's... It's a great point you're making about how little he had played in the upper minors even. And yeah, he, he was gangbusters when he arrived in the majors, but it was showed last year that, you know, people made adjustments to him and he was not the same guy after he kind of had initial, that initial uh, flash. And I still believe Von Grissom is a very talented player. I think the bat has always played up and it's taken him a little bit of time and some of the adjustments that he's made level to level. But I do think that if I had to guess right now, he'll still be a good hitter at the major league level. I don't know about shortstop ever for him. Uh, we'll see. It's certainly not the case right now. And I don't, I don't say that's to pile on him, but I do think that he's a good athlete. You could see him play somewhere else. You know, he was okay at second base. Obviously the Braves have a guy there and Ozzy Albies, you're not going to move him around, but I think Vaughn could maybe play left field, could do a little bit more, you know, utility stuff, et cetera. But I think him playing right now, getting at bats um, and just kind of getting himself together again. Cause I th- you think he lost confidence too. You, you never want to say that without knowing it, but it, it looked like a guy to me that was just indifferent, maybe not indifferent, uh, sort of indec- indecisive is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. As far as like, just not being, you know, probably in his head, making errors, not hitting, and just kind of spiling on him at a bad time. And like, he is 22, like you said. So it's all worth pointing out, you know, I'm the shoemake thing is interesting on some level. Uh, people were surprised. I want to know what you think about this. People were kind of surprised that it was shoemake that stayed up. I was not at all because shoemake kind of fits the profile of utility guy. I mean, the glove is obviously much better than Grissom's. And with Arcia back, there's no question, it seems, that Arcia is going to play almost every single day. So you kind of want the safer glove guy behind him, who also is older, like you said, almost 26. That didn't surprise me at all. Is that a move that you agree with? Because for me, unless Adrian's is back and they're just in love with him, it feels like a pretty obvious thing to kind of stick with Shoemake. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. I tweeted on Friday when Shoemake was announced that I hope the Braves would send Grissom back to AAA and let him play every single day at shortstop and get a better idea of long-term what does his outlook hold. Um, I don't want to compare every player to Kyle Wright, but for years the Braves would bounce Wright back and forth between the minors and the majors, and one day he was making a spot start, and then he would sit in the bullpen for eight days, and then he would go back, and then he would be called back up, and it was just not helping anybody. And while it maybe hasn't been that extreme for Grissom, I want Vaughn to play shortstop for the Gwinnett Stripers every single day for the next five months and let him get reps, let him get three, four, 500 plate appearances and let him try to improve defensively at shortstop. Uh, Because right now I just don't really see a role for him at the major league level. And as we know, he's 22 years old. Not all 22 year olds are going to be Ronald Acuna Jr. and contend for MVP. Right. Like there are kids in college who are older than Vaughn Grissom who are going to get drafted next month. So I think it for his his sake and the Braves sake, you let him go down. I, I, I mentioned it a while ago. I don't really see a reason for Shoemake to go back down to Gwinnett. He's been around. I think he is who he is. He's probably a bit more versatile than Adrianza as well. I know the Braves really like Adrianza as a clubhouse guy and as a versatile option off the bench. We'll see what they do with him. I know the the elbow injury, maybe it's real. Maybe it was one of those, hey, we need a roster spot for a couple of week injuries. Uh, but overall, I'm, I'm glad to see the Braves are going to give Grissom a chance to be successful in the minors. So I just don't think it was serving anybody for him to be out there every night. And you mentioned his confidence. You don't want a guy to get lost, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure he was really taking it hard. You mentioned the errors. I think he was up to six errors in his last 12 games. 
was not hitting. Now he's a talented kid and he has a lot of tools. He's athletic. It was just time. I think everyone came together and said, you know, this just isn't working. And thankfully, as we, as we mentioned, Arcia is back and I think he'll, he will very likely be the everyday guy uh, moving forward. Right. And the concern, if there was one with RC, is that maybe they rushed him, but he looked fine today. Knock on wood. It was a little bit amusing on some level that like it went from him being two weeks away to being back on a, for a morning game an 1135 AM game. So he had to be ready to play at like, you know, 10 AM this morning. Um, I kind of laughed at how fast that happened, but uh, you know, he's, he's ahead of schedule, but look, it, that could have been, if you want to be cynical, motivated by how rough it had been at shortstop. But hopefully that was not the case. And again, he looks to be fine. And it seems like by the reporting that RC was kind of pushing to be back in there. And, um, you know, he's he's played great. So the, and even we saw today, as we'll get into later on, defensively, he helped them immediately. So no, no concerns there, hopefully. Um, the only other thing that I want to get to on the injury front that's non-shortstop related is the guy you mentioned earlier, Kyle Wright, who has this shoulder strain. Now, he had MRI on Friday. They have not released any detail on this, which is a little bit concerning to me. Uh, you don't want to overrate that, but he's already on the IL. Um, you know, shoulders are funny. I mean, elbows are not great ever, but shoulders can even either be really bad or not as bad, and we kind of don't know until we know. The Braves don't need a fifth starter, as you kind of pointed out. I think you're the first person I saw that said this until you know mid-May or so. So there's a little bit of flexibility here, but uh, also you have a, a little bit of uncertainty with Max Fried as well, but we'll stay with Wright for now. Are you worried based on the lack of information that we have so far? Because this happened Friday, uh, sorry, Thursday into Friday, and we still don't know as of Sunday night. Yeah, it's not great. Shoulder injuries worry me for pitchers, uh, especially when it's the same shoulder that Kyle had the offseason injection for was delayed in the spring, never really looked fully like himself, and then, of course, couldn't complete his start earlier in the week. So it is a concern. Uh, it's a strain. So there's clearly something going on in there, although I guess the good news is, is there wasn't something obviously wrong, right? Like it wasn't he, – he doesn't need surgery. There was, you know, there was no immediate alarm bells going off, but also the fact that no timetable was given is probably not a great sign – Thankfully, there is a little bit of depth in the organization. Now, if Max Fried goes down for any period of time, then you really start to look around and go, uh-oh, this could get bad. But uh, for Wright, it's a real bummer. He had such a nice year last year. I feel for him. He was very clearly distraught whenever he was pulled from the game on Thursday. It was very weird overall. Kranitz was really upset. I mean, Kyle looked like he was about to cry as he was coming off the mound so I'm sure he knew something was going on. I think you just have to hope that the treatment, he responds well to it and gets some strength back in his shoulder because as, as far as elbow injuries have come along in terms of medical treatment over the years and the way guys bounce back from elbow injuries, you know, shoulder ones can be even trickier than elbows. And I think that's a concern. Obviously, we don't know what the future is going to hold for Kyle uh, but it's it was not good news. I at least I didn't think so without being a uh, without being a doctor. And yeah, it seemed like that was the consensus of people that were in the building and talking to people. Like it's not again, we don't have a diagnosis. We're recording this podcast just for reference about seven. 15 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. So perhaps we'll get some updates by the time you listen to this show, either Monday or later. But that's where we are on right. Uh, hold your breath, I suppose, because, you know, he's a very important piece. He's not, you know, the best pitcher on the team, but certainly an important guy for the Braves moving forward. And again, another spot with some uncertainty I mentioned a second ago was is Freed, who I watched his post-game availability on Friday. He Number one, he wasn't good on Friday. I think that was very obvious. Um, but he had been pushed back. Um, an extra day or two. That was interesting in the first place. He pitches. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote him now. He says, this one's going to sit with me for a little bit, end quote. Uh, also, which is very kind of, I don't know. I keep, I keep going back to the word downtrodden, but you know, he didn't pitch well, but it was a little bit strange. And then Snit got asked today after the game, like why they hadn't listed Freed as a starter on their official probables. And, you know, Snit basically said, I don't know, and we'll know more tomorrow. And he said something like, we're working through some things. And it's like, okay, is it an injury for Freed? And he he downplayed that, but it could be an injury or it's just like, we don't know what's going on. Or it, it's, again, I gave the time that we're recording this podcast for a reason. We, we might get some more information, but whereas with Wright, we kind of know it's an injury concern. 
Breed didn't seem to have an injury, at least not what he was talking about, but between how kind of somber he was after that start and then having this little bit of weirdness, because look, he's your number one starter. You, you don't only just like write that guy down in ink whenever he can pitch. He's he's kind of just in there and they, they reveal that. And Stitt was kind of just weirdly, I don't know, um, obtuse, I guess, with the media today yeah. about about Freed. So we don't know anything. I, I'm not I'm not even sure what to ask you about it, Scott, but like it's a little mm. bit weird just because I want to just want to throw it out there. It's a little bit strange. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone cross your fingers and say your prayers, right? If there's one thing this team cannot withstand is a serious injury of some kind to Max Freed. Yeah. And I mean, the good news is I looked, his velocity was fine. Um, you know, he his start on Friday did not go well. But I think it was also just one of those nights where there was some weird uh, plays happening. He had that weird throw to first base where Olsen wasn't covering and uh, some infield singles. And he did give up two home runs, which is uncharacteristic of him. But it wasn't like he went out there in the fourth inning and his fastball was sitting at 86. And it's like, holy bleep, this, you know, this is bad. Yeah. Um, so maybe he was sore. Maybe he wasn't feeling great. Maybe they sent him for a, a precautionary test or something like that. Now, the Braves want to be careful. And I think there's something to be said for being smart when it's A, early May, and B, you already have a seven-game head start on the rest of the division. Now, there's a world where if the Braves want to push Max back a couple of days, they could do a spot start with a Dylan Dodd or a Jared Schuster on Wednesday when Freed was originally supposed to pitch and give him the Thursday off day and then have him pitch over the weekend in Toronto. You know, Maybe that's an option. Maybe they just want to be safe. Uh, we'll see. I, I'm with you. I'm guessing we'll get some clarity on this in the next 24 hours or so. But that was kind of a, a dark cloud of over a uh, otherwise really fun game on Sunday. Yep. But yeah, man, let, let's hope that Max is okay and um, you know, anything to him or Strider is really going to fe- be felt both short and long term if there's anything going on. Yeah, I mean, usually, you know, at least I would say that position players are generally more valuable. Your great players, your Ronald Acuna's. But with this roster and the way this offense is built, you know, I don't want to be too crazy about it, but you'd almost rather have a position player go down for a while than you would free or strider because of you, you don't have the same kind of uh, quality down the line, especially if there's any concern about right. So uh, interesting stuff there. And hopefully free is fine. And he just pitches either Wednesday or Friday. And we kind of learn it was all just a little bit of a misunderstanding or whatever, but we'll get into that when we get there. And uh, as a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast network. I am very confident my friend, Sean Coleman and or Chris and Steven on the midweek show will be covering whatever happens with front with right or freed in the coming days. All right. Before we get into some game stuff, some more on field takeaways, observations from this week, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, Scott, let's fly through the early week results because, you know, we didn't talk about them, but I know Sean did and Chris and Steven did. And Monday was a long time ago, basically, uh, is the way that I would say that. They split the doubleheader with the Mets on Monday. Sean Murphy was the offensive star and, uh, you know, the bullpen was not good on that particular day, but they ended up winning the series against the Mets. And then they take on the Marlins and simply put, they take care of business. Um, they win every game by multiple runs in the series. They sweep them. We'll get into kind of the, the day by day. But um, that's kind of my overall takeaway is that, like, you beat a team that you're supposed to beat. You didn't mess around with them really at all. And uh, you can't expect to sweep every inferior opponent because that would be unrealistic but going doing that sometimes is very very useful and at the very least winning that series is what you should expect and the Braves kind of just did it pretty easily you don't want to be flippant about it but it was pretty breezy this week against against the Marlins anyway yeah they they did a great job and when you consider they swept with Bryce Elder starting one game and (laughs) Elder's been great I mean I I'm guilty of underrating him or Thinking too lowly. Elder, well, Elder's I, been... I, I, I will say today, t- today was the prime Bryce Elder experience. We'll get back to that later on. But he, he he actually did pitch very, very well on Tuesday. 
I don't think he was very good today. <laughs> it didn't matter. Smoke and mirrors, baby. It all That's works. right. Hey, we ride the wave as long as it goes. Maybe uh-huh. it goes until October. Maybe it comes crashing down in you know June or whatever. And it's ride like, it. wow, well, that was nice. But regardless, I mean, Elder starts Tuesday. The Braves were awesome. Second time in a week, the Braves won a Bryce Elder versus Sandy Alcantara start. <laughs> I mean, that that's even for as good of a team as the Braves are overall and what the betting markets think of Atlanta. I mean, that that's big. I mean, you talk about things that can move the needle in a season. Uh, you know, the the reigning Cy Young winner against a guy who didn't even make the team out of spring training and you go 2-0. and That was nice. Wednesday, the offense went crazy. Kyle Wright pitched, what, two innings before getting hurt. And then Thursday, they went to Dylan Dodd to push Freed back a day. And maybe, you know, maybe that was the first indication that Max wasn't 100 uh, percent. But I mean, you you sweep a team. I don't care if it's the Marlins or if it's the Oakland A's or if it's the 27 New York Yankees. If if you can sweep a series with Elder, basically a bullpen game on Wednesday and then Dodd on Thursday, you take that a million times out of 10. Yeah, 100 percent on that, you know as much as the elder thing, you know, it's maybe not entirely real. Like he pitched really well on that game. You win the game on Wednesday with the offense just exploding Thursday with Dodd. Like it's all the way it's supposed to go. And I I do want to make note now, actually, before I forget a couple of offensive players to discuss briefly. Uh, One that was less surprising than the other (laughs) this week, we'll say Uh, we'll start with the less surprising one. And that is Ozzy Albies. Um, I know that I'm uh, resident Ozzy Albies stand, but uh, he currently leads all of baseball among second basemen in home runs and slugging percentage. He's slugging 543 after another uh, robust week of power. And that includes an 0 for 5 today. So he wasn't like fantastic today or anything, but he's kind of broken out. And that's been very helpful to provide some more depth after the top handful of guys. On the other side, you have Marcelo Zuna, uh, who out of nowhere this week, uh, truly out of nowhere. And I think it's almost, again, then downplayed how bad he's been. There's been this narrative out there, like the Braves are just waiting for him to click on. He's been really bad for two plus years, but he started May 7 of 20 with four home runs in the first five games. He did go through 0 for 3 today, but that brings his numbers back up into a still poor, but not just comically poor range for the season. So there's that. Uh, anything you want to add on either Ozzy or Ozuna? Because those guys' power really kind of led them in some ways during the middle of the week. Yeah, I mean, on both guys, you know, especially with like Austin Riley, for example, continues to struggle a bit. And even Matt Olson has been a little home runner bust lately. You know, those two guys stepping up in a big way really, really helps out the team, especially in the middle or bottom half of the lineup. Uh, we, we, you know, Ozzy Albies for as, uh, you know, he had the injuries last year. He was clearly frustrated, got off to a slow start this year, but he has looked fantastic. And I think we're seeing just how impactful Ozzy can be whenever he is going. He is on a crazy heater right now. You mentioned his numbers basically has been the best offensive second baseman in the game through six weeks. And then, I mean, it's not hyperbole to say this was the best five games Marcelo Zuna has had since the 2020 COVID season. Oh, by far. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the grand slam on Wednesday homered again I think, you know, he homered a couple times after that. And, and not only the home runs, but just the approach looked better. Uh, it was a small thing, but on Sunday, Marcel had a really, really good at bat in the 10th, 11th, 12th inning. I forget what inning it was in extras, where it was a tough, tough, tough pitcher on the mound. And Marcel took an outside pitch, got his bat around on it, and hit a ball towards the second baseman, which advanced the ghost runner to third. And then Hilliard came in two pitches later to score on the wild pitch to tie the game. You know, if Marcel doesn't get the runner over there, the Braves might have lost. I mean, the wild pitch would have moved Hilliard to third, but there's no guarantee that he's going to come around. So it just looked like Marcel was more comfortable. He also had an opposite field home run on Saturday night that was crushed against a pretty good Baltimore Orioles pitching staff over the weekend. So it was encouraging. I I don't know if I'm necessarily ready to say that Marcel is capital letters all the way back, but (laughs) it was big. I mean, it was really big and it was nice to see, you know, take as we try to do on this podcast, take away the off the field stuff. You know, he has really struggled on the field and for him to have at least a week where 
kind of got the gorilla off his back a little bit and was just looked like the Marcelo Zuna the Braves thought they were going to get when they signed him to that four-year deal was encouraging. And let's hope at least something close to this continues for as long as it can. The thing is, if he's going to play and he's, he's still been playing, if he's going to play, you have to hope that he produces and he has walked a lot more this year. Uh, that's the one that's probably the most positive trait that he has put forth at the plate this year is his patience has been better, um, which kind of leads to what you were talking about earlier with with some better at bats. Um, you know, it cannot be ignored that uh, you know, just a good week from him should certainly not alleviate questions. He He's still the number, even if you include this week, his numbers are still not good this year. He's been a sub replacement level player for three years now. All that stuff matters. There's been uh, some, I won't name names. There's been some uh, erasure in the local beat about him, like some talking down to fans for just being realistic about how bad he's been. It's not like it's controversial to say that he's been bad. I mean, every single number tells you just how bad he has been for, like you said, since 2020. It's not a one month sample. We pride ourselves on this podcast of being sample size driven. Like we we don't make these snap judgments on players, but you're talking about 700, 800 plate appearances over three years in which he's been very bad, but he did look good this week and he's always hit the ball hard. So maybe that says something. Uh, I'm sure that he'll keep playing now. I mean, the, the thought was, I know in some circles that maybe he had been so bad that they would just finally eat the contract and move on. That is not going to happen anytime soon now, because if you have a week like this, that's enough to tease you to keep him around and probably play him for a while longer. So if you're rooting for that outcome, uh, you're, you're going to be uh, mistaken for a little while longer. I think <laughs> he's not going anywhere. And and we talked about the injury updates earlier in the podcast, but I think this is a good time to also mention that over the weekend, Travis Darno yep. began a rehab stint. By all accounts, Travis is feeling good and will be back with the team soon. Uh, the Braves are off Monday. They're also off Thursday. They have two games, Tuesday, Thursday at home. So it's possible they bring Travis back for those two games, or they could opt to keep him in the minors for a little bit longer um, especially with the two off days built in so he can continue to play. For me, the real indicator is how the Braves handle Travis and Sean Murphy and Ozuna, because that's three players for effectively two spots, right? And I know they did it early on, and I'm going to bang my head against the wall if they start <laughs> making Sean Murphy a platoon guy again or a part-time player, which is what he was for the first like 10 days of the season before Darno got the concussion. I can't imagine a world where Murphy is sitting the bench more than once a week. I hope he isn't even if he's then DHing a few times to keep him fresh. I'm totally cool with that. But I do think for the first time in a while, there will be some real lineup decisions to be made because you know, the Braves like Travis Darno, they're, they're not going to sit Travis all the time. No. They're going to want to get him out there, especially coming back from the injury. And there is no planet where Sean Murphy can be on the bench. Like he was early in the year. I mean, you're talking about the national league leader in war, like the leader in war. Oh, uh, the, the, by, by the way, the major league leader. Yes. I was major about to league leader. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was looking at the wrong list. I had the national league only list on fan graphs up. Um, the, the major league leader in war is Sean Murphy, and he has sat five or six times versus like Ronald Acuna and Matt Chapman in Toronto who have played every single day. So you can't sit Sean Murphy. Um, so that, that is something I think in the coming days we will see, I guess it's a kind of a problem to have if Marcel continues to hit and then they want to get Murphy and, and Darno in the lineup as well. Uh, but ultimately that is, uh, I guess a storyline to keep an eye on in the coming days. We're going to move on, but uh, I will just note that uh, the Braves have shown a willingness, despite my objection to using Marcel in left field. He did play a little bit of left field earlier this year. He, that, that kind of stopped uh, after Darno went out and after he had been struggling so badly, but they did do it. So I think they're willing to play him in left in certain matchups. And, but I agree with you wholeheartedly about Murphy. I mean, maybe there's a world where he just doesn't like the DH. That that might be a thing that we just don't know about, or like maybe they, they think that he won't be the same guy if he DHs and I don't think that it was ever realistic to have the entire planet DH be the second catcher every single day. That's not going to happen. Occasionally they're going to have to do something else, but I do think that Murphy's got to play a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty obvious. Um, he's been awesome, especially defensively. I think he leads yeah. and at least according to fan graphs. I think he might lead like all of baseball in defensive value so far. <laughs> like he's, Oh, he's, he's ridiculous. Um, he's phenomenal. And the bat outside of Oakland has awoken. 
And yeah. I think that was something a lot of people were hoping and really expecting to happen when he got out of cavernous, whatever Oakland's ballpark is called these days. But he's been, I mean, just Murphy has been everything and more we could have hoped for through six weeks of the season. Agreed. And while we're here, just as a reference point, uh, Murphy's number one on that um, Fangraphs leaderboard. Uh, Ronald Acuna is number three in all of baseball. Only Matt Chapman is between them. So the Braves have two of the top three players in baseball as of this moment, according to Fangraphs War. That is pretty good. And I I believe I saw today that Ronnie is the current betting favorite for MVP in the National League. That yeah, be by right, a ton. Yeah. By a ton, he's the favorite. Um, I looked it up yesterday, actually. Um, yeah, he's like, Ron, for our folks who are familiar with the betting odds, Ronald was, I think, plus 225. I think Pete Alonzo, of all people, was actually second at like plus 700. So again, 250 to 700 and everybody else. Actually, Sean Murphy was plus 4,000 to win National League MVP as of Saturday afternoon. So if you are a betting man, and Brad, I know you are, <laughs> if you are a betting man or woman, maybe uh, throw a few bucks on Sean Murphy at plus 4,000 to win MVP. But I do agree. If, if Ronald's healthy just with his profile and the way he impacts the game, I think that's probably the smart bet as of early May. It turns out that when you are currently leading the National League in stolen bases and you're also walking, never striking out, and you have an OPS about a thousand, that's a pretty good formula. Yeah. Just and so have like the, the greatest arm, the greatest I mean, outfield we'll, arm. We'll get to that in a second, but man, that yeah. throw today on Sunday, um outrageous laser outrageous yeah. stuff. Laser beam. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was some uh, some some Raul Mondesi level uh, throwback stuff where you could just throw from anywhere and any point. And yeah, it's a weapon. Anyway, I guess we'll get to the weekend series now while we're 35 minutes in the podcast, because that's on brand for us. Um, so the one ugly mark of the weekend, we talked about it a little bit earlier about Freed. They lose the game 9-4 on Friday to, I'll just say this now, a good Baltimore Orioles team. This is not your older brother's Baltimore Orioles. They are good. They are talented. Um, so it's not a crime to lose to them. But it was a 9-4 loss. Freed had a rough one. Jimenez gave up, a, gave up a grand slam. The offense was fine. They had 11 hits, just didn't score runs in that game. I mean, it's just kind of one of those nights kind of thing. When you, when you lose behind Freed like that, it's like, eh, shrug and move on. But that was the one negative of the weekend. Yeah, funny enough, I didn't watch much of Friday night. I caught the first few innings. We had some friends visiting, some family visiting. It was 2-1 to one when I left to go pick up dinner. And when I came back, it was nine to one and I turned off the television. So not the worst game, <laughs> not the worst game to miss. Uh, just one of those things, as we said, as long as he is healthy, the Braves are going to be heavy favorites, no matter the opponent. Every time Max Fried takes the mound, um, you know, it's probably worth mentioning. Joe Jimenez has not been good. Jimenez was, I don't want to say a, a controversial is too strong of a word, but, you know, the Braves gave up Justin Henry Malloy for Jimenez in the offseason. Jimenez only has one year of control. And, um, you know, there were some eyebrows raised at that. I didn't hate the trade at the time, but Jimenez has been flat out bad. It seems like he gives up a home run every time he comes in. His velocity is down from last season as well. So that, that's been a bit of a bummer in the bullpen. But overall, just a, a stinker of a game. The Braves hit the ball well. You mentioned 11 hits and three walks, really, other than a Sean Murphy home run late. They just couldn't get anything going. Just just one of those baseball things. Yeah, and that, of course, leads into uh, they had to be great in, in the next two days to win the series. And they weren't perfect, but they have a couple of very narrow victories. Saturday, um, they had the lead. When Strider exited, Strider did not have his best stuff, which is funny to say because he, he struck out 10 in five innings. But he, he threw almost 100 pitches, and they, they kind of pulled him um, quicker than some might have thought. But the bullpen gave it back. And then uh, how about Kevin Pillar? The swing of the weekend, the single uh, swing yeah. of the weekend. I think even though they uh, – uh, I think you could certainly argue that Sunday's game was more fun in some ways. Pillar's swing was the number one uh, sort of wood probability added swing of the week. That was a, that was, that was a fun one on Saturday. Yeah, it's funny. I checked out a Baltimore Orioles blog. I guess Pilar has a history of just tormenting the Orioles. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay. I, I had no idea and kind of got like a Trey Turner versus the Braves vibe where anything he can do to sink you is going to happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Kevin Pilar has been a really, really nice addition. That was a nice ad. I believe he signed in January. It was a non-guaranteed deal. But I think as we outlined and as folks know, Kevin Pillar has been a successful major leaguer for years. 
And he's probably not an every night guy, but you're talking about a right-handed compliment to Eddie Rosario, who is also hitting the ball much better now. I looked him up. I, I think Eddie has a like a thousand OPS over the last 10 or 12 games, which is good to see. Uh, and, you know, Pilar crushed that ball. Truist was sold out. Park was rocking. I mean, it was really one of those games that felt 50-50 going into, or maybe in the middle innings, it felt 50-50. And to to squeeze that one out, especially after a stinker on Friday night, uh, was great. And I'm all for getting Pilar in the lineup, especially against lefties. He plays hard. He has some some thump in the bat. Uh, he, you know, he goes all out on defense. He's going to kill himself if he isn't careful because <laughs> he every time he starts, it feels like he's bulldozing into a wall somewhere. Uh, but that's also kind of the energy guy that you want coming off the bench, right? He's like the high energy sixth or seventh man on a basketball team. You need those kind of players on a on a good team, and he's done a really good job so far. Scott, I'm glad you brought up the Orioles tormenting thing because I just I looked this up just now. Uh, Pilar has his second best OPS against Baltimore against any team in the majors. And like you said, he's been around for a long time. So he's played against every team a good bit, uh, in 92 games against Baltimore. He has an 880 OPS, 15 home runs, 22 doubles. He's basically been a all-star level player against Baltimore in his career. So good pull by (laughs) you. Uh, you were all over that. I I had no idea. Only the Nationals has he tormented more. That was in, in, in a much smaller sample size. So it's really Baltimore, as far as like total value, that's the team that he loves. So uh, you were all over that one. Yeah. The hat tip to uh, Camden Chat, which is a really <laughs> good SB Nation blog for the Orioles. They mentioned it. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what makes baseball so great, right? Like there's just these random players who, I mean, we could go down the list of guys who seemingly torment the Braves. Some of them are all-stars like Trey Turner. And then there are also like those random players like Garrett Cooper with the Marlins where he comes up and I'm just like, well, he's going four for five tonight because he just kills the Braves. Uh, there, there's a handful of all-time Braves crushers, I guess, throughout the league. But uh, yeah, really fun game on Saturday. Again, Truist looked awesome. And then getting Rysel Iglesias back in the ninth inning, he looked fantastic. I am not editing this in post. I promise you this is live on the podcast. Garrett Cooper, career OPS against the Braves, 839. Just saying. I would have guessed like a thousand or fifteen million or whatever, but yeah, there you go. That's he's, awesome. Well, 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 his career average, so he's uh, he's certainly in the same category. So he is on the roster. Yeah, I think Adam Frazier <laughs> is too. Who uh, yeah. was with the Orioles? He with the Pirates seemed like he always killed Atlanta. Um, I don't know. It's also, I mean, it just it's what makes baseball so fun, right? It's like these, there's these random guys who who would have ever thought that Kevin Pillar just owns the Baltimore Orioles. Not uh, me before today. I've learned something yeah. new on this podcast, even though I'm hosting it. Um, okay. Yeah. You mentioned you mentioned Iglesias. Man, he looks so good on Saturday. Not a surprise. His debut, though, for the season, you know, the injury was what it was. They took their time with him. He looked good in the minors. He looked great on Saturday. He pitched very well on Sunday, too. I was kind of surprised he pitched two days in a row, but I guess they felt like that he was good enough to do that. Um I don't have much to add. I think we've seen that Russell Iglesias is awesome, but the fact that he looked like himself on Saturday was a very positive sign. Yes, it was. And we've, I think for the last couple of weeks, there's just such that the added benefit of having Iglesias, it shifts everybody else down a rung. I think it really adds some versatility. You know, we saw Nick Anderson pitch the sixth inning on Saturday night. You know, Anderson has been more or less locked into the eighth inning of every single close game this season. And the Braves were able to use him in the sixth and it frees up AJ Minter and Dylan Lee and Colin McHugh, who looked much better after kind of a rocky start. Um, and I love Iglesias' little strut off the mound. Um, he, he looks like he's not even trying half the time. He'll just strike <laughs> a guy out with his split finger or change up, whatever that nasty pitch is that nobody can hit. And then just kind of like walks a circle around the mound like he just rolled out of bed. Um, it's it's fun to watch and yeah man he looked terrific Saturday and Sunday he really did um I guess we can get into Sunday's game now I mean it was a very quiet game not only because it was at 11 30 in the morning eastern time and I'm were you awake for first pitch Scott you can you can tell us it's okay I missed I missed the first inning I'm gonna be honest it was a late night granted it uh just for people that don't know the uh, podcast that well Scott lives in the Pacific time zone at least for half the year so 8.30 8.30 a.m. start is pretty tough for anybody on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like, oh, yeah, that's right. There's a game. There's a game on. I, I sent my reminder tweet just to be like, hey, in case everybody didn't remember this, there's a game on at 11.30. It's also on NBC and Peacock. It was a 
I got lots of questions about why I was like, look, I'm, guys, I'm just passing the information along. I, I could do the long explanation of sports media, but that's just where it was, where it was shown. And I will say it was actually not as bad because I, I remember last year's game. That was the morning game was only Peacock this time around, at least in the local market. I'm pretty sure it was national too, but yeah. they had it on NBC. So that was uh, a little bit easier for people to find locally. Anyway, Matt Olson, Parker high school zone had a home run in the first inning for the lead. And the offense did nothing after that for eight plus innings. It was uh, kind of excruciating. And I mentioned it before, kind of a joking fashion. Elder did his job. He didn't pitch incredibly well, but he held them to one run. Bullpen was great. Um, and then it got interesting in the, uh, in the extra frames. Did you have any other uh, sort of observations from the first nine innings? Because it was uh, not boring. I would not say it was boring, but it was uh, it was still a one-one baseball game. Through nine innings. Yeah. It kind of felt like a playoff game, honestly. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I was really impressed by the Orioles and I was looking forward to this weekend. Uh, it feels like Baltimore has some 2018 Atlanta Braves vibes to them. And maybe they don't have the veteran superstar like the Braves had with Freddie Freeman. Um, you know, it's not a perfect one for one, but you know, Baltimore, they're young, they're athletic, they're a fun team. They have a very analytically inclined front office after I think Darren O'Day, who was on the broadcast, mentioned Baltimore had like a dark ages front office for years. And it led to them becoming the worst organization in the sport for a few seasons. But they went to the Houston Astros and plucked away some of their talent. And three years later, uh, they, they look like a playoff team. Uh, you know, with Elder, it was maybe his – it wasn't a bad start, as you noted. His command was not there. The Orioles did a good job fighting off his pitches. Uh, but, I mean, the, just the beat keeps going. And whenever Elder is giving up hard contact, which is something that's been discussed quite a bit, he is giving up a fair amount of hard contact, but he's keeping a, a lot, a lot of baseballs on the ground. He's not giving up a, a bunch of fly balls. He's not giving up a, a ton of line drives. And good things happen when you get the ball on the base on the get the ball on the baseball, get the ball <laughs> on the ground as a pitcher. And sure, he's going to give up some loud contact. He does not have crazy stuff. But if you keep the ball on the ground, keep using that slider down on the zone. I think he can be successful, especially if he's more of a fourth or fifth type. You can do a whole lot worse. And I think the boost that Bryce has given the team early on has been huge. I thought you were about to go full chip and go with good things happen when you put the ball, put the ball in play, Scott. And I was a little, bit, I was a little bit worried about you just for a second. I was like, all right, out. Who, who am I talking chip to? Curry. Yeah, uh, Chip Carey having to watch the Cardinals is kind of funny. Um, the St. Louis Cardinals stink, and I'm sure Chip is having a blast. Um, anyway, I uh, I will chip say Curry. while we're we're on this corner, um, I think everyone made the joke at the same time today when Arcia made the first play in the field that it was like the Braves made a trade without without, without making a trade. That was a chipism. There when you're see it back off the IL today. That was a, an on-brand revelation for everybody involved. Um, all right, yeah, <laughs> moving Chip, on from there. Chip Carey and Jim Edmonds is exactly what you think a Chip Carey-Jim Edmonds broadcast would sound like. That, that's all I'm going to say. That is accurate. Um, all right, so as far as what transpired, uh, Jesse Chavez has given an RBI single in the 10th. And just for everybody's reference point, the expected outcome in extra innings is a team to score in every half inning. Like it's not, it's not ever going to happen, but like I often see people kind of freak out when a reliever gives up a single to somebody and it's like, guys, if you start ending with a guy at second base and no one out, they're going to score more often than not. It's just kind of the way that things work. That's what they want, by the way. That's why baseball did that. Uh, you can love it or hate it. I don't particularly like it very much, but they want to have some action in extra innings, which is why it happened there. Anyway, there's actually a nice play from RC and Riley to keep it at two one, which is good to see. And then um, our guy, Sam Hilliard scores on a wild pitch in the bottom half. Did you see the slide? I think I was the only one that noticed this. I, it was the most, it was probably the least athletic slide I've ever seen in my life. I think Hilliard is very athletic. He looked like he really? never slid before. It was weird. I, I missed it and I watched the replay and I didn't pick up on it. Now I'm going to have to go back and look. Maybe it's the angle. I mean, it was just such a bizarre thing. And maybe I was, maybe I'm crazy. Perhaps it's me, but I was like, he didn't look like he was comfortable sliding. It was like it's a very strange thing. It wasn't a close play either. Maybe he was just like, do I have to slide? I guess I'll just slide. One of those things, but kind of an odd thing. Uh, and then, you know, Harris actually walked and stole second. So they were in good position, but then they had this like awful scenario with Arcia and not really his fault, but a swinging bunt in the wrong place, right in front of the plate. And then uh, what'd you think of Michael Harris going? I've, I saw a lot of people mad at Michael Harris for running the third. What'd, what'd you make of that play? You know, he was thrown out, which is not great. 
And Adley Rushman behind the plate is a really, really good defensive catcher. He's a star, man, by the way. <laughs> that guy's a star. Yeah. He, he's awesome. I mean, he didn't have the best weekend offensively, but Rushman's going to be like a bona fide top 15, 20 player in the sport. Um, you know, I, I actually didn't hate it. I like the aggression, especially in an extra inning situation. You, you put pressure on the defense to make a good play. And Rushman did. Similarly, in the next inning, the Orioles put pressure on the Braves to make a play, and Ron Acuna threw a guy out from right field. Uh, so I, it's a bummer that Michael was thrown out at third. But overall, I I rarely, unless it's just like stupidity, I usually don't get too frustrated or go, oh, man, what are we doing whenever it's aggressive because it, it just kind of puts the pressure on the other team. Yeah, I uh, that all makes sense. I think uh, I just wanted to at least ask you, I saw some mixed reaction to that. It didn't really bother me live either, but not the best play optimally. You wouldn't think, but a great throw, great play by the, by the defense. Um, shout out to Michael Tonkin, who was very good in the 11th and 12th. And again, you cannot expect scoreless innings out of your bullpen and those spots, especially your last guy in your bullpen in a lot of ways. And Tonkin held it down beautifully in the 11th and 12th. That's probably going to be lost by some, but I thought that was really important. He, he's been a great find for the yeah. front office. I mean, for a guy who was kind of seen as a roster filler early on in the spring as like the long man in the bullpen who would probably get shuttled out whenever they needed his roster spot. I mean, he's been awesome. He's been, he's versatile. He can go multiple innings. He has a great story too. I'm a sucker for guys like him who have really stuck with it and persevered through some things. And the stuff is good. He has a, he has a weird hitch in his windup, which is kind of funky, might mess with hitters a bit. And you mentioned, I mean, two scoreless in the 11th and the 12th. The 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 Baltimore Orioles bullpen is nasty, like one of the best units in the league. And for Tonkin to go out there and hold it at zero until the Braves could finally get one was huge. And yeah, man, anytime he comes in the game, it's it's hard not to be just thrilled for him just based on his background. There's some good articles on Michael Tonkin. If folks miss those, be sure to Google yeah. it. And I'm sure you can find them. Uh, he seems like a really good dude, obviously thrilled to be at the major league level again and doing a really nice job. I would echo, I would echo that sentiment about looking up the uh, articles on him just for the short version. He's he's 33, but he had not pitched in the majors since 2017. So it's uh, it's been a long time and he's pitched very well, has a sub two ERA in 19 innings so far for the Braves. So a cool little story there. And then, um, you know, besides the Ronnie play we talked about earlier with the ridiculous throw in the 11th inning, um, I would say a nice courteous helpful intentional walk from the Royals to put Marcel Ozuna, he of the 70 WRC plus on base, pitch Michael Harris. Now it's funnier to people like us. I don't think nationally it would have gotten made fun of quite as much. They walked Ozuna because Harris, it was lefty lefty, all that stuff. But uh, that, ha- I mean, I laughed out loud when they walked Ozuna, I got to be honest with you. And then for it to come uh, sort of end the way that it did right after that was uh, appropriate. I thought. Yeah. The um, you know, the old process versus results. I think in theory, it was probably right to walk the right-handed hitter to face the lefty. But I mean, if, if it was me in the, in the dugout and they don't ask for my opinion, Brad, sadly, why not? Um, <laughs> I, I wish they did. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, good on Michael Harris. He had a home run off a lefty earlier this week as well. He just missed a home run on his walk-off on Sunday. And that was something he struggled with last season. Uh, he had a really nice walk talking about Harris. Harris had a really nice walk in the ninth inning as well. So he's he's shown some real signs of life. It's worth noting that he nearly had a catastrophic knee injury in that yeah. Marlins series. Oh, I wow. I forgot, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, that's a good point. We yeah. should wrap that up. <laughs> that was a scary, scary moment for everybody. That, yeah, that was one of those um, for folks, just as a reminder, he kind of stumbled trying to beat out an infield single tripped on the bag, hyperextended or nearly hyperextended his knee. I mean, you you were millimeters away from that being a really bad injury. So thankfully, nothing bad happened. Um, but no, he he's really looked good. He feels like he's kind of getting his legs underneath him since he's come back from the back strain. The defense in center field continues to be excellent. And again, it just showed just how good of a hitter he is when he's going right. Yeah, it helps to be uh, young and athletic because, uh, you know, whatever he did to a, a sort of adjust his body and not hurt himself there was uh, appreciated by himself and everybody else. The fact that he was back in the lineup, you know, hours later was 
you know, obviously very strong. In fact, he was playing over the weekend, et cetera. So, and having the walk-off to kind of cap the week and really, a, really a fun game. Like you said it before, it was a, it was a playoff atmosphere. I know it was in the morning, but it was also a standalone game. Like that was the only game happening for two hours or so in baseball. So people were watching it. They're like, I follow, you know, non-Braves baseball folks that were dialed in because it was a national, it was a national game. The Orioles are a great story. The Braves are as referenced on this podcast multiple times rolling this year. So it was a high profile interleague game and had all kinds of juice. So for that to go to, you know, to go to the 12th and be really uh, exciting was uh, a lot of fun. And uh, we enjoyed baseball on this podcast. So I was uh, enjoying myself. From a casual viewer perspective, I don't know if there's a better interleague matchup than the Braves against the Orioles. Right, like maybe, yeah. I'm probably biased. I mean, maybe the Ray. I mean, the, like the Rays are awesome this year so far, yeah. but the Rays are kind of more established. They're, you know, certainly not a not a an offshoot brand, but like they're the Rays. They're uh, they've been better than the Orioles, but because the Orioles kind of come out of nowhere um, yeah. last year in particular, and now they're like maybe taking another leap. And you got Rutschman, who, you know, he's not quite on the on the Trout Otani level or anything like just that yet, but like he is a budding star. And yeah, people don't really know about the Orioles. So like, as far as like, like you said, casual in particular, the fact that you can kind of tell the story of the Orioles. And I know Braves fans hated that. I saw some reactions about how, how pro Orioles the broadcast was. I had to laugh about that. Anytime oh you have gosh. a national broadcast, it's always that way. <laughs> but yeah. It was funny it's to okay. me. It's okay to enjoy other baseball teams, guys. Um, no, that's not, that's not possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, great week, great series. Again, Truist looked awesome. Took two out of three against a good Baltimore team took care of the Marlins who overall the Marlins have been really strong. I think Miami is 16 and 11 against everyone else, but they are one and six against the Braves. So clearly the Marlins have some juice. And then we breeze through the Mets doubleheader on Monday. Cause it feels like forever ago, but overall they took two out of three in New York. You sweep Miami and you win two out of three against Baltimore. I think it's a six or seven game lead in the standings and sure it's early, but as we talked about earlier, I would much rather be in the position the Braves are in now than when they were in last May, where it was like, well, they basically have to win every single night if they want to, want to win the division. So, yeah, really good week for the team. Hopefully, Max Freed is okay. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it went about as well as I think you can really hope for. Yeah, hold your breath on uh, on Wright and Freed. But other than that, it was very positive. Uh, quickly this week ahead it's a very light week for the Braves they only have five games after playing eight games in seven days they have Monday off then they have two game series against the Red Sox at home and then they have Thursday off so it's a rare you know five game scheduled week then they, then they actually go to, have to go to Toronto so not a long trip but certainly you know the customs and all that stuff going into play to face the Blue Jays um, and also of note the this will save the stats on this because I have a bunch of them uh, the AL East right now is uh, unbelievably good the worst team in the AL East at this moment in the standings has a positive run differential. The entire league, sorry, the entire division has, has a positive run differential. Uh, the Rays are the number one team, but I said because they play the Blue Jays and the Red Sox, who are third and fourth right now in the in the AL East, but they're both 21 and 14 and 21 and 15. So these are two good baseball teams. They just happen to be behind the Rays because the Rays are awesome and the Royals. So uh, some tests, not incredibly off the charts difficult, as far as in particular, I think the Red Sox are not probably quite this good, but Toronto is definitely a bona fide team and uh, no cupcakes this week. Yeah, no cupcakes indeed. The Red Sox lineup is really strong. The pitching staff is not as good. Um, Atlanta is going to see Nick Pavetta, who they've seen a bit over the years. He, of course, came up with the Phillies. And then uh, they'll see Brian Bello on Wednesday night, a truest hard throwing kid, but both of those guys have ERAs in the fives or higher. So it's an opportunity probably uh, take the over on runs scored in those two games. And then, yeah, I mean, Toronto, in my opinion, is is one of the better, more well-rounded squads in the league. I think they're a legit uh, American League pennant contender, World Series contender. Uh, Toronto tends to be a pretty hitter-friendly park as well, so the fireworks should be flying. Uh, and, and thankfully for the team, for the Braves, I know they had – a couple of days off in New York because of the rain, but they get at least one off day at home on Monday, which is nice. I'm not sure their travel plans on Thursday, but it is a nice bit of a breather because really the month of May, the schedule is pretty tough. Uh, They're going to see quite a few teams in the American league, uh, some divisional foes as we've seen. Uh, So, but overall, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for five games against two pretty good squads. Yep. Good uh, metric six games and, 
as we opened the podcast, we'll close it up now by just saying like, this has been a heck of a run for the Braves. Uh, they have to keep this pace. Like nothing is assured. It's still baseball. There's a lot of uncertainty. The Braves are, I think, unequivocally good. I think we could kind of probably put that uh, in the ground right now as far as uh, putting our stake <laughs> into, into the ground right now. But uh, we'll see how good. We'll see how much this sustains and a couple of good tests along the way, even though they finally get some rest on Monday and then again on Thursday, um, pending rainouts and all, the, all that fun, all that kind of fun yeah. stuff. But Scott, we've covered a lot of ground yeah. over an hour. Please feel free to end the show with anything you'd like to uh, share with the people. And also, if not, um, where they where they can find you and your work on social media and elsewhere. Yeah, thank you everybody for checking us out. We appreciate all the support. Another good week uh, under our belts here. And um, Brad, I did want to ask you a quick baseball oh, no. question. Here we go, unprompted, because there was some chatter about this on MLB Network, and I meant to ask earlier, but here we are. Here we are. Uh, the New York Mets or the Philadelphia Phillies? At this point, who do you see as a bigger threat to the Braves? for the rest of the season? Um, I, I think the Mets. I've always thought that. I have kind of not been high on the Phillies. Uh, it helps that they have Bryce Harper back earlier than expected because he's apparently Wolverine. Um, that's a story that we could touch on or not, but he came back faster than anyone's ever come back from Tommy John, literally ever. <laughs> so that's, uh, and by the way, no rehab stint for Bryce Harper. He's the Orlando Arcia of Philadelphia, as they, as they say. <laughs> um, but no, I think I'd still go Mets. I think their roster is better. They are old, of course, but they have better numbers this season so far. They are a game ahead of the Phillies. Yeah, I'll go with the Mets. Do you disagree? You know, the Mets pitching staff Yeah. Stinks. It's I mean, not good. I, I believe I looked at this the other day. It might have changed, but I mean, the Mets just lost two out of three to the Colorado Rockies. They're and they got home. they got they got rocked today too. Rocked. They got thumped. You know, last time I looked, the Mets were 29th out of 30 teams in pitcher war. Their their pitching staff has been the second worst group. I think that number's right. It might have changed. This was a couple days ago. But their pitching staff has been awful, or maybe it was their ERA. I forget the exact number. No, it's and it's. Were, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's not none of it's good. They, they got Verlander back this week, which obviously should help. Though he's a, he's a thousand years old, but he pitched well in his first start. But Scherzer's looking not great. Um, David Ian's Peterson's nice. been bad. Uh, I will say I I do kind of like Kodai Singa. The, uh, the the older yeah. rookie he he's come yeah. over and has looked pretty good from Japan. He's thirty, by the way. He's, he has the he has the Hideo Nomo uh, rookie path where he might be the rookie of the year, even though he's thirty. Um, anyway, but yeah, I mean Carlos Carrasco has been terrible. Like they they don't have the guys they're supposed to have as far as like. Yeah. So maybe I'm wrong. I just it's more that I've never liked this Phillies team very much. They obviously got hot last year and they did what they did. And you can't erase it. But um, I, I think the Mets roster is better than the Phillies roster, but I, I might be wrong. No, that, that's a fair. I mean, it's fair. I mean, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying the Phillies are this awesome mega team and the, the Mets are going to be below 500 the rest of the way. Uh, but it is an interesting question and battle. I, I don't think the Marlins are going to equate in. You mentioned they've been unbelievable in one run games, which is not going to continue. Uh, their, their run differential is bad. And then the Nationals obviously are not in the equation at all. Uh, but it's a um, it's it's good good fodder, right? Good things to discuss, especially when the Braves are going as well as they are. Again, a lot of baseball to go. No one is. What's, what's the guy from New York radio who was calling the East over on like May fifteenth last year? I, uh, uh, I I on purpose did not do that earlier in the podcast. And by the way, we would never do that on the show. But we would uh, never do that. The fact that uh th that's been making the rounds again, just as a I think the Mets are. Let's just say not in the same ballpark as the Braves and we lost records since that day. Yeah. It's not particularly close. Anyway, but a lot of baseball to be played. I'm glad you said that at the end of the podcast, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I do believe that someone, and most likely it will be one of the two teams we talked about a second ago, either the Mets or the Phillies, will get hot and be good. I don't think the Braves are going to win the division by 20 games. That's not likely to happen, I don't think. Um, and right, Even though right now they're on pace to win it by like 25 games, which is just not ever going to happen. But if you just did the, the exact pace from here, they win it by like 24 or something insane, but yeah. uh, not going to happen. I don't think. Yeah. Right, and, yeah, I know we got it. We got to roll. Um, so thank you again, everyone for checking us out. Thanks for sticking with us. We're well above an hour now. I think at this point we are, uh, that's okay. But it, yeah, we are right. There's Things no game tomorrow. Good. There's no game tomorrow. Everybody's fine. Uh, right. Your normal time. If you listen to this podcast this long, you already did it. But if you are, if you want to share it with, with somebody else, yeah. just say, Hey guys, there's no game on Monday. So why don't you spend some Braves time with this podcast? Good. Song. There you go. 
I support that. Should be a good week ahead with Boston and Toronto. Um, And yeah, thanks to everyone again. Brad, always nice to do one of these with you. And uh, we'll see everybody next weekend. Absolutely. Follow Scott on the Twitter machine at Scott Coleman 55. Follow me if you'd like to at BT Roland. Follow the show and the site on Twitter at Battery Power SBN. Also, please check out all the written work at BatteryPower.com. Chris Willis, Demetrius, Ivan, the whole crew does a fantastic job. Garrett on the minor league side, etc. It's the best written content you can find on the Braves, in our opinion, as well as we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast network where you get free shows all in one place. You have this show, the kind of flagship, and the rounds at the beginning. And you have Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman. You have the podcast we name later with Chris and Steven. Uh, we encourage ratings and reviews and downloads across podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, etc, etc. And we do thank you for listening to the podcast. As Scott said, we'll see you all next week.